0: Thank you, guys.
1: Okay. John was going to be speaking today, but Hope took a very bad turn for the worst. So he won't be with us today, may not be with us next week. So what I'd like to do before I start teaching is let's take one minute and let's pray for the family. it, It crossed my mind, you know, I could get up here and lead a prayer. But then I thought, you know, there's so many, so many things to pray for, but God lays on each of our hearts a prayer for that family right now. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to each one of us how we should pray for them. Miss Brenda, the kids, John, Hope, it's interesting in pre-service prayer, Mary even prayed for their pets. I thought that was particularly sensitive. Even their animals, Lord. So Holy Spirit, how do you want me to pray right now for the hope situation for the Ator family? Understand this. We have authority in the kingdom of God. We can release things. We can release things from the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, what do you want prayed for? How do you want me to pray right now? Amen. Well, we're starting a new series today. It's uh, the book of Philippians, which frankly is one of my favorite books. So, book of Philippians introduction Born in power, born to suffer, living in joy. Born in power, born in suffering but living in joy. This is a book about joy. Joy is mentioned many, many times in the book of Philippians. It's one of the main themes of the book. And of course, Philippians, as we all know, is one of Paul's letters to the church. Paul planted this church. He's the the apostle to this church. He's the father to this church. So to understand the letter and to understand the church we need to understand paul i know that sounds a little odd but but churches have personalities they are very much like people they're shaped by influence and influencers as we all are so churches often take the personality of their leadership for better or for worse they tend to reflect in many ways the personality of their leaders and that's not to say that they worship their leaders. They don't. But they're influenced by their leaders. And each, of, each leader is, is unique. And they bring a perspective about God that is, that is theirs. And it then influences the people that they lead. So to understand the letter of Philippians, we need to understand the guy who wrote the letter. What makes him tick? What was he about? Churches have genetic codes just like we do. They're formed as well, just like we are from birth through adolescence, through maturity, and and then churches actually die, just like we do. So understanding Paul's values and experience is essential to understanding this book. Paul's call to ministry came immediately after his radical conversion. How many of you remember the story of Paul's conversion? He's going down a road to kill Christians. He's on a mission. He's on a mission from God. In his mind, he's on a mission from God. And he's passionate and and utterly committed to his mission. And his mission is to arrest, separate children from families in Christian homes, either put in prison the parents and then take the children somewhere else, or simply to kill them. And he was there present for many, many killings. It's what he did for God. So he thought. And then one day, Acts 9, verses 15 and 16, he's walking down the road, and he's knocked over by the Holy Spirit, and God speaks to him. And then later, after this, radically... Can you imagine a uh, life-transforming experience like this? Like God knocks you down, gets your attention, and said, why are you persecuting me? What that must have meant for a, a committed believer, good Jew, like Paul, to to all of a sudden realize you've been killing God's children and you think you're doing good? So Paul has his radical conversion and and, and of course, (laughs) he's been busy killing Christians and now he shows up at their meeting and says, hi, I'm home. You You can imagine, they're like, I need to be home. I've got a roast in the oven. I I really can't stay for this. The distrust. How can you possibly trust this guy? And of course, they reacted humanly like we would. They, they, They don't trust him. But he's God's guy and God's choice. And then to make this, to fix all this, the Lord says to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. To proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Just as radical as Paul's conversion is, is the conversion of Ananias to realize this guy is no longer my enemy. In fact, he's going to end up my my teacher. He's God's instrument to bring God to the Gentiles, which they weren't even interested in bringing God to the Gentiles. I mean, that's another thing that's impossible. It's not going to happen. But here's the end of the sentence, which is so interesting. God talking to Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, Paul's conversion, as powerful as it is, is frankly nothing compared to the suffering he's going to endure for Jesus. For the kingdom of God. And right from the very first moment, God makes this clear. This is not going to be easy. This is going to be a life of suffering. So let's look at it. Firstly, we know it's a call to suffering. Great things he's going to do. He's going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He's going to be singularly the instrument of the fact that we're here today. Do you understand? The only reason we, non-Jews, are sitting here today... Worshiping Jesus is because the Apostle Paul got a revelation of something called grace beyond religious righteousness, which makes it possible for non-Jews and broken, filthy, foul, nasty people like me. We get to be Christians. We get to worship him. He's the reason we're here. I mean, Jesus is the reason we're saved, but he's the reason we're worshiping Jesus for being saved. You get it? What a privilege. Oh, really? I will show him how much he's going to have to suffer. From the very first moment of his call, it was a call to suffering. And boy, did he live it. Let's just take a quick trip through Paul's life from his own words. This is Paul's autobiographical moment. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 29. Sounds kind of like bragging, except. That it's all true. Real humility is telling the truth. Do you understand? About yourself. It's not overemphasizing your qualities or underemphasizing them. It's just being truthful. And Paul's being truthful. I've worked much harder, I've been in prison more frequently, I've been flogged more severely. And I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles. There's nobody he's safe with. The entire world around him hates him. Danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. Does this sound something like the suffering of Jesus? He came unto his own and his own received him not. Paul experienced that. I have labored and toiled, have gone without sleep I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches, brackets that I planted. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? And you know, the background of this letter to the Philippian church. Where did he write this letter? From prison. He wrote this letter from prison. It was either in Rome or it was in Ephesus. We're not sure. That imprisonment lasted two years. During that time, he's waiting for the sentence of whether he's going to live or die. He's on death row. Basically. Basically. Okay, let me ask you a question. You're going to take the trip to Italy that you've always wanted. You've never been there. You've seen some pictures. You don't know much about it, but you just know you really want to go. Who do you want to talk to? Who do you want to talk to? Someone who's been there. You are getting married, and you want counseling, who do you want to talk to? Well, who do you want to talk to? Other married people that are doing it right. You want to talk to somebody who's been there. You want to talk to somebody who's already done that. You're facing a divorce. Sorry, but maybe you're facing a divorce. Who do you want to talk to? Other than your lawyer and your accountant. Somebody who's been there. Someone who has experienced what you're about to experience. Isn't that human nature? Isn't that a basic need? I need to find somebody that knows what I'm going through. I don't know what I'm going through. Someone has to help me figure this out. Paul's the guy. Paul's a professional in suffering. It's all he knows. It's been his entire history since he came to Jesus. He was warned this is the way it's going to be by God. And it is. And it was. He's an expert. Nobody knows suffering other than Jesus in the Bible and Job. You've got Jesus, Job, and Paul. Joseph's nothing compared to this. 18 years of prison. Come on, what's that? Okay, you got, it, you got me. There's, there, there are a few guys that have suffered in the Bible. And Paul is right up there, right up there. But here's the deal. This book, Philippians, it's a book about how to have joy in the middle of suffering. That's what it's about. Where does joy come from where there's no other source of joy? Where does joy come from when you're in deep trouble and you can't get out of it and there's really no hope in sight? Where is your joy? Where is your peace going to come from? Now you need to ask somebody that knows. Because those that don't know will give you a whole bunch of platitudes and cheap advice. Because it's easy. Because they haven't been through it. If they've been through it, they know it isn't easy and that it's crappy advice. It's nothing. But the people have been through it. They understand. They are ahead of you. They have already felt what you're feeling now. And when they tell you where joy comes from, it's probably the truth. And maybe you want to listen. You do want to listen because you're looking for hope. So you take it from anybody who's been there before. Paul's been there before. Lived it. And he shows us the attitude to have in the face of suffering. And his advice would completely lack credibility if it were not for his experience. The things he says are so ridiculous. Rejoice in the Lord always, no matter the circumstances. Let me say it again, rejoice. Are you kidding? Are you serious? Do you understand what I'm going through? And you're telling me I'm supposed to rejoice? And, he, and he's quite painful. He says, let me say it again. Like, I didn't hear you the first time. And you want me to rejoice? And my life is garbage right now? And you want me to rejoice? Are you kidding me? That has no... Credibility, except for the fact that he wrote it while he was in prison waiting to die after that personal autobiogra- autobiography of nothing but pain. This guy knows something we don't know. And in order to get through what we're going through, we have to know what he knows. And thank God for this book, because this book of Philippians is the suffering book. The surviving suffering book. And every word he says is true and it makes sense. And if we will apply it, we will end up experiencing the joy that he was experiencing in prison while waiting to die. Only one who has suffered has the right to give advice about how to endure suffering. The Philippian church was born in suffering and power. And it's a combination we don't really understand. So let's look at the birth of the book. Let's look at the birth of the church of Philippi. It's, got, it's Paul's story. But it's the church's story as well, because it's Paul's story. So we're going to look at how this thing started. And this is in Acts 16, 7 through 30. So in verse 7, like, like many of us, Paul had plans. Paul had plans. We have plans for a good marriage. We have plans for healthy and successful children. We have plans for a meaningful job that we can enjoy and not endure. We have plans for good friends. We have plans for a good marriage. We have plans for a good future. And then something happens and those plans are destroyed. Which is happening for the Ator family right now. Paul had plans. He had a plan to go to Asia. He wanted to go there but it was thwarted by the Holy Spirit. Circumstances did not go according to to Paul's plans based on his human reasoning. Let me say that again. Uh. Circumstances did not go according to Paul's plans based on his human reasoning. Has that ever happened to you? Other than your trip to the DMV? Your descent into hell? His plans were thwarted. Thwarted, that's the word used in the text. His plans were thwarted. It means to frustrate which is exactly how we feel when good plans don't work out. We're frustrated, but you know what we call it? We don't call it frustration. We call it suffering. Some plan, my vacation plan didn't work out right. Oh God, I'm suffering. I've got to go to Cabo instead of Cancun. Oh, no. The devil's at work in my itinerary. It's not funny. I wanted to go to Cancun. had to go to Cabo. It's not fair. Paul had a dream. Ever had a dream? Paul had a dream. He saw a man in Macedonia begging him to come. It wasn't his plan. His plan was something else, but he had a dream. And, and, and in the dream, his guy, the guy in Macedonia, you gotta come, you gotta come. He reaches the conclusion from this dream that the Holy Spirit wants him to go there. So he heads towards Philippi. Ever had your, your plan supernaturally changed by God? And what's your first reaction? Complaining. Complaining. We're just so good at complaining. This is a tangent I want to go on for a minute, because it's my problem, so I'll confess with you, it's my problem. I have been a fundamentally negative person. As a lawyer, we're taught to analyze everything in life according to risk. So being risk-averse is first nature. So you spend all your time minimizing your risks and being careful and then it doesn't work and something blows up in your face and you get frustrated and you get angry and then you start complaining. And pretty soon, because complaining is a form of self-pity which is very addictive. It's a wonderful drug. Taking pity in yourself and cuddling your, your broken emotions and your pain. So you get really good at it. But with self-pity has to come complaining. They fit perfectly. So you adopt an attitude of complaining and you complain pretty much all the time. That's me. Why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. Well, not really, but, you know, in the moment I felt like a good person. Now it's almost over and it's turned around and things are going really well, and I'm so, so thankful. But here's the deal. Before it turned around, I needed to learn something. There was a redemptive purpose in this somehow, and it's this Mark, you have a negative attitude, and it governs everything you see and do, and it needs to change. And, it, and when he put it to me like that, he wasn't, he wasn't complaining. He was just giving a fact like, you know, you, you, this isn't doing you any good. You need to start giving thanks. Habitually, pretty much constantly, you need to find something to be thankful for. Well, guess what? Crazy as it seems, no matter how bad your circumstances are, there is something you can be thankful for a whole host of little things. Maybe you still have a job. Maybe you still have a car. Maybe you still have a house. Maybe you have a guitar that you love. Whatever it is, you can, you can find things around in your life that you can be thankful for in the moment. And as soon as you start to be thankful in the moment, it begins to change the neural pathways in your brain. Instead of always reverting to that neural pathway of complaining, you're making a new pathway of giving thanks. And as you reinforce that neural pathway of giving thanks, it begins to alter how you think. And where you go first in a given experience. Used to be first in a given experience, I'd find something wrong. Now I can find something right. And it seems like a little trick. And it is a little trick. But guess what? It works for one reason. Complaining is the language of hell. Thanksgiving is the language of heaven. Where do you want to live? Where do you want to live? You get a choice. Yes, your circumstances stink. But what's important in your circumstances is not the circumstance, but how you choose to react to it. Amen. So where do you want to live? Do you want to live in heaven or in hell? It's, it's, it's magnificent how God has crafted this. It's so creative. You get a choice. All you got to do is decide what you're going to find in the middle of the problem. Something worse or something better. Pick something better and it changes everything. Now what does this have to do with the book of Philippians other than everything? (laughs) (sighs) Paul arrives in Philippi. He begins preaching outdoors. It's so unfair. Why didn't God give him a church building? If God really loved the Gathering Place Church, we would have a magnificent cathedral. Instead, we had this dump. Oh, sure, the, view, the view's fantastic, and it's a great deal, and they love us here, and they take care of us, and they even value our presence, and the parking's great, and there's a restaurant you can go to afterwards, and you can buy a car if you want. I want, but I don't have the money. But, but it's all there for you. Oh, yeah, but this place, you know, we could have something so much better than this. Yeah, I guess we could, but here we are, so why don't we give thanks for it? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the Lexus Center. And for Judy that lets us stay here. Hello? So Paul didn't have a building and he had to preach outdoors. A A businesswoman and her household become Christians. That's pretty fantastic. And then later, Paul casts... A fortune-telling spirit out of a slave girl. Act of power. Church born in power. Holy Spirit power. And what does it do? It leads to suffering immediately. She brings charges against Paul and his team, and he is severely flogged. Do we have a picture of severely flogged? Did it come out, Chris? Okay, so the thing on the left, cat of nine tails, rocks, bits of glass, metal woven into the fabric of the whatever they are, in the leather, and then you're tied up and then you're whipped with it until it tears open the skin all over the place and you just bleed, and the pain is unbelievable. So he set, he, he get, he, he's in a deliverance. He sets somebody free. They're freed of an evil spirit. And the first consequence is this. Well, God, that's not how ministry is supposed to work. We were supposed to take an offering, and everything would have been fine. And he ends up in jail. Even worse. Thrown into prison, chained to stocks, which are a feature unique to the room used for torture. So while they're hanging against a wall, having been flogged, they're waiting to find out if they're going to live or die. Now, if this were you or me, which language would you be speaking at this point? Thanksgiving or complaining? Complaining. <laughs> Pretty much nonstop with every breath. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What? Why? And the other prisoners were listening to them. Paul's response to suffering is praise which is a form of thanksgiving. It makes no rational sense. It's inconsistent with human emotions. It's inconsistent with human nature. But he makes a choice. I'm going to worship God in the middle of this mess. Why not? Why not worship God in the middle of the mess? Why let the mess define your relationship with God? Why not let your relationship with God define the mess? That just came. That got to be the Lord. Now we'll take an offering. <laughs> but that's what they do. They decide to worship. As if that's going to make any difference. I'm whistling in the dark. I'm playing games. I'm telling myself I'll feel better if I just worship right now. Really? No, it goes a little beyond that. <laughs> and the other prisoners were listening to him, and suddenly there was a violent earthquake such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison that's an interesting choice of words the foundation of the hell you're in was shaken at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose now what would you do at that point? what would you do at that point? get the heck out of there go find a Motel 6 With one of those coin operated vibra beds. Because you know you're all hurting anyway. You leave, you just get out of there. Get this is deliverance. You've been set free. Now go take shelter someplace. Disappear. Leave the country. What do they do? Some crazy reason they didn't leave. See God had answered their deliverance circumstances says time to run away they didn't they stayed there what could possibly be leading them to stay there God the holy spirit so they stay with what result The jailer wakes up. He sees all the cell doors open. This is, uh, Philippi is a colony of Rome. It's uh, under Roman law. And he will be killed now because dereliction of duty. His prisoners have all run away. He will be killed. Jailer wakes up, sees all the cell doors open, reaches the logical, logical conclusion that his prisoners are gone and he prepares to kill himself. And Paul says, hey, stop, we're here. We're all here. The jailer is so thankful. He listens to the gospel and his whole house becomes Christian. And this is the start of the Philippian church. Born in power. Born in suffering. Living in joy. They all go together. You can't have the power without it costing something. And you can't have the joy without it costing something. And it all comes together in the package called the Christian life. And when we try to exclude one, we often exclude the others. Exclude suffering, you'll often exclude power and joy. For some reason, they kind of go together but it's what we choose to make of it by how we choose to react to it. The Philippian church is born of supernatural power and suffering. These two go together naturally for Paul. Perhaps more confusing is this. There are three things evidence in Paul's life that we rarely put together. Supernatural power, suffering, and joy. How does this work? How can you find joy in the middle of suffering? The book of Philippians is the answer to that question. We'll go through this book and we will see four or five, I can't remember exactly how many now, but four or five ways, practices and ways of thinking that Paul displayed and talks about in that book. And as we see that, we see the keys to finding joy in the middle of suffering. And that will transform our lives. Wow. It's only 11 o'clock. Well, yeah, we will, but When we have all this time like this, I got this thing I love to do. I love Q&A. Because this message ought to have raised some questions or concerns. as how we apply this to our lives. What are you thinking? Got any questions or comments about this? Josh said, just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. Get that? That's really good. Stephanie said that she's seen so many people who have suffered greatly, but the observation she's made of their lives is that they have a relationship with God, which is wonderful, and actually makes us jealous. Like, I wish I knew him like she knows him. And the suffering is the common denominator.
2: God causes all things to work together to the good and we get something out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mary.
3: Okay, this isn't about suffering per se, but it's um, not getting my way.
1: (laughs) That's suffering. (laughs) That's my definition of suffering. It's
3: so true. I don't know what happened, but um, at the first of this year, I made a resolution not to be critical. And, okay, Jim's not listening. So so I'm the one that put all of Christmas up. He did help me get the bins down. Um, I put all the Christmas up. I took all the Christmas down the week after on Sunday, and I said to Jim, and I put everything right by the storage room. The bins stacked. The the tree is empty and the bag for the um tree. for the tree is right in front of the television set in the family room. This was on January seventh, that Sunday, I was done. So I left it alone. I said, Jim, would you help me put these things away? He says, Yeah, we'll get to it. And I says, Oh, not tonight. So the next day is our anniversary, right? 40, 44 years so, Yay. so okay I said would you like Oh no let's have a good steak and enjoy so I said fine so it is still there <laughs> the tree is still in the corner of the family room the bag is still in front of the TV set the bins are still over by his office door stacked and I moved them out like an inch just so he has to go around them to get to the back. okay but here's the deal, guys. I'm not critical. I'm having fun. I love my husband. And when he sees it and he'll get it, we'll do it together. But I'm not critical. I, God took it out of me. Do you know? Because I know how I like to do everything just right. But you know what? He, I don't have to have everything right. It, and, and that gives me joy. Joy because i gave him that critical nature in me having my way so there's good things you know it doesn't have to be pain and suffering of course you know so.
1: yeah. i'm going to so gonna, the opportunity uh, was there mary that's so good i'm going to start a betting pool where you can all bet how long it takes jim to wake up and help her put the boxes away maybe next christmas That's awesome, Mary. I mean, I've seen you go through that, and that transformation for you You is quite wonderful. It really is. Christina.
0: I'm coming. Um,
4: So I went through some years of suffering um, with Crohn's disease, and so painful, so draining. Like, just... And I was... a not that I was a fairly new christian but you know we became christians and then it happened maybe like a few few years later and i just kept like speaking the word over and over over every symptom and situation and and um you know you just don't know when it's going to end and and i just kept You know, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. You know, and I just literally hated that scripture, but I would be like, well, I can consider it joy or consider it crappy, you know. Um, But I feel like the suffering changed me because I'd really never had suffering like that as far as pain in your body and symptoms and blah, blah, blah. But um, man, it really made me a better nurse, <laughs> yeah. and I could really feel what people are going through, and especially because I work with them, um, oncology, and I give chemotherapy, and and a lot of the symptoms I went through were symptoms that they go through, and uh, um, you just have a different attitude when it comes to what other people are going through because you know you've been through it. Yeah. And uh, it does change you. And uh, so it's not like I and I never turn my back on God. I never like and not that I'm prideful of that, but I just had nowhere else to turn but him. Right on. So, you know, exactly. that's all I have to say about that. Exactly.
1: Give give it to Josh. Give it to Josh. This is good. This is great. We
5: had someone in the back Hello.
1: did you want to? Hold You're on. Next.
5: John. Hi. Um, so I just went, um, so I was just gone for the last week. Uh, my stepmother, she just passed away uh, from the same thing Miss Hope had. And oh, so wow. my dad lives in our country and everything like that. So I went home and I prayed before I got a play. I said, Lord... Uh, let me be with, uh, who I need to be to give my dad peace and strength and all that. So how it worked out was is that my brother and his kids came down. They were renting a uh, and b on the coast for my nephew's birthday. And he didn't want to go. We finally convinced him to go. And so we went there. And I haven't seen my dad have this much fun in years. I prayed on the way. I said, Lord, let us do. We was on the dock. We was catching. We caught 10 15 to 35 pound uh, bull drum. And he's cutting up and he's acting like whatever, like 10 years his age because he's 75. The next day he gets out there, we go out there, we caught 11 redfish and everything. The day after, my brother hit me up, he says, when y'all left, we didn't catch nothing. And this might, and me and my dad haven't been fishing together in over 10 years.
6: You didn't
5: bring me any though. I'm sorry, but. (laughs) (laughs) but it was just... Just praying, Lord, let me bring my father peace. Let me do this in his suffering. And just for us to have that little moment, I know that God was with us and that that my stepmom was looking for
1: it. That's wonderful. Okay, Gloria is next.
7: Thanks, Josh. Since I was about 16, my mother had lots and lots of health issues. She had addiction issues. and, And so she was more or less my charge and um so, after I got married and left and and wound up um, having my mother come and live with us, which was my my husband 's idea was not my idea. I was not very happy about it <laughs> I said i don 't want that but anyway, she did, and through that period of the next gosh twenty years, I think um, she went through in and out of addiction, suicidal issues, and it, it was just it was just hard. So they called me from Mercy Hospital one night and said, uh, "We have your mom, and uh, she had an issue, and uh, you're going to need to bring her clothing." And and um, so I left my house, and I was—we live north of Escondido, so I was going down the 15, and um, I got on at um, I got on at El Norte, and um, I had to stop and get gas. <laughs> Remind me I have to get gas on the way home. <laughs> and so I was coming, got on at El Norte, and it's like a mile to get off on the 78, which I needed to do to go to Oceanside and get her clothes and things. And I'm crying, and I'm saying, Lord, what am I going to do? I mean, what am I going to do? I'm so afraid of so many different things that could happen with her. As I get on the freeway, this big old semi-truck is in front of me, and it's. I get right behind this guy, and I look up, and in the... Um, upper left-hand corner of his truck in yellow reflective tape, it says Philippians 4.13. I was like, oh my goodness, you know? And so it made me laugh, and it made me smile. So in the midst of suffering, there is joy. Good words.
1: Did you want to say something? Okay.
2: Hi, I'm visiting Gloria. I'm uh, actually an uncle of hers on your side of the family, right? L- I love your approach to Paul, good, because I, I sometimes I felt like I was in his position
1: yeah.
2: um, your, your idea about the church you start as a, you give it birth and then comes into its teen years yeah. and adulthood and then it dies yeah and i 've gone through that three times. Oh. Uh, I start the church and then for some reason, we leave and you look back and somebody else came in and, and the church is no longer there. Um, I finally learned to find out that the joy comes within me. It's the spirit within me that gives me joy and satisfaction and comfort. And uh, it, it's been a long journey. And uh, I'm now retired, thank God. Um, but you know, like, and I got to say, a lot of times ministers of the church are the ones who are suffering because somebody yeah. in the congregation invariably thinks they can do it better than the minister and the board can. So it just, it, it's a it's a horrible, painful experience. And, and I, I hope none of you ever go through it. I, I would also like to acknowledge that uh, when he talks about this big church that Paul wanted to have, like a cathedral and stuff, that that's what our congregations sometimes think they want. Yeah. I got to tell you, th- the Spirit of the Lord is right here Amen. in this congregation. So you folks Amen. just keep it up and, and uh,
1: pay close Amen. attention. I got a prophetic word for you, if you don't mind. Um, I believe. <clears throat>
6: you want to say? You yeah.
1: Something that the Lord spoke to me a long time ago that I really needed to hear. I didn't believe it, but he said it, and this is it. You're far more influential than you think. And you don't see it yet, but you're going to. Your great moment of understanding your significance of your ministry is going to come in heaven. When you see the people that were changed and influenced by the things you said and did, and, and, and right now you don't see hardly any other. You see a few you can, put, you can look backwards and you can see several. And put names on them and remember this, this, and this. But it's a rippling effect. And we, we don't get to see it. You don't get to see it until you're home. But that's the only time it matters is when you're home. That's when it matters. And you are going to be thrilled. You're going to see people, you even forgot their faces, you even forgot their names. And they're going to come up and say, you know, there was one time you don't maybe remember, but this is what you said. This is what you said in the sermon. This is what you said to me. And I've never forgotten that. And it's made a huge difference in my life. And they're going to say thank you in heaven. And Jesus is going to say thank you in heaven. So it, our success is not measured here or now. Our success is measured then. And it's coming. And I see a long line of people in heaven that are going to ask for your forgiveness. They're going to say, I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I said that. I know it's wrong. Please forgive me. And you're going to say, it really doesn't matter because we're here. And we're together. Okay. Who's up? Mark wanted one. Mark? Uh, Of all the places in the Bible where people pour out their complaints to the Lord, how does that fit into all of this? Oh, that's such a good question. Do we get to complain to the Lord? Abso flippin' lutely. (laughs) Did you know that in the Psalms there are more Psalms of lament than there are of thanksgiving? And you read those Psalms and it's pretty brutal. God, why have you forsaken me? My tongue cleaves to the the roof of my mouth, I, I have no friends, the, they're like wolves and bears around me, they're, they're out to destroy me and, and tear me apart, and where are you, and I can remember what it was like when I went to church and you were there, but it's not like that anymore, and oh God, why do you hate me, what have I done to displease you? And that was their worship liturgy, that was part of their worship liturgy. So is there a place for complaining to God? Yes. But. Every one of those psalms ends with the word but. But you, Lord. But you, Lord. David was so good at pouring his heart out to the Lord that it became part of their worship liturgy. But all of his psalms of lament end with a but, Lord. But you, Lord, have done this, and you, Lord, are this, and this is what you're like, and this is who you are, and you haven't given up on me, and you still love me anyway. Transparency and honesty with God is essential. You can't go deeper with the Lord than you are honest with him. So hiding your negative emotions is not going to do you or him any good. You need to express them. But after you have expressed them, but, Lord, you... But Lord, you are this for me. You will do this for me. This is who you've been for me. And I can still find something to thank you for right now in the middle of the storm. I think that's how it fits. But yeah, we have to be real with them. We just have to. Okay. we want to worship a little bit? Great. Yeah, let's worship. And as we're talking
0: about all this, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 12 where... Paul was pleading with the Lord to take that thorn from his flesh, right? He pleaded with him three times, and the Lord answered him and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So where our weaknesses is, where our sufferings are, that, that provides the opportunity for God to move powerfully. So we sing about God's goodness today, and we'll invite the prayer teams up at the end. Sound good? I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days, I've been held in your name. prayer teams I just want to invite you down here to pray with uh, pray with people let's see the Lord move mightily on their behalf if you don't need prayer thank you so much for joining us thank you for joining us online I pray you have a blessed week. May the joy of the Lord be your strength in Jesus name. Amen.